Good day, listeners, and welcome to today's episode of Say Word. Say Word is a podcast that we started. The goal is to inform, offer diverse perspectives, and add a touch of humor where appropriate to events happening in Toronto and in our world that our viewers and our listeners can connect with. Now, we started this podcast to give thoughtful and purposeful perspectives. Toronto is home to us all, hence the name. And we want to leave you with content that is a good use of your time. Today's episode is going to be a bit different, listeners. We actually have a special feature guest today who's going to be joining us. And we're going to be covering almost everything from traveling abroad. You remember what that used to be like to interracial relationships and almost everything to do with branding. My boy Callie and I will be your hosts. And we have the one and only yes, Danica, a.k.a. Badgia Danica. Big thank up. you for having Big me. Up. Big up. Join us. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So excited to join y'all on Say Word. We are happy to have you here. And for those of you who don't know, Danica is the person that they refer to as the woman with many hats and hustles. Firstly, she is an award-winning marketer. To name a few, she is the recipient of the Top 100 Black Women to Watch in Canada Award by CIBWE and the new establishment brand award formerly known as the marketing mag 30 under 30 award by strategy magazine she's been recognized for driving innovative ideas within her organization when she's not solving complex marketing problems in her day job she's advising she's speaking publicly she's facilitating whether it's in the work she does with humber college for the advertising marketing and communications diploma program or she's offering diverse perspectives See what I did there on topics such as diversity, equity, inclusion, and tech, personal branding, and mindful productivity. She's an avid traveler, which you'll find out about shortly. She's a music junkie, peep her Spotify analytics. And if I didn't know better, Danica, I would say you're plotting world domination. So we got to make sure we're on your good side. I just might be. Thank you for that mouthful of a bio, but thanks for the intro. What's a, a mindful productivity hack? Uh, to prioritize rest. And that often sounds counterproductive because people mm. think that, what? I need to rest. Like, I want to do everything on my to-do list. But rest is important. Rest is productive. And I'm slowly starting to include that into my mindful productivity practice. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, I was going to say, just to touch on that, too, I feel like I, somebody had a conversation with me recently on that topic of rest, and they were saying it's very liberating just to say no to a lot of things. And they're like, they started saying no because they're a person who was just no matter what the situation was, they were always like, yeah, I can do that. Or I can, I, I can figure that out. But they're like, yo, like saying no, you know, it gives you, it gives you back your time. Uh, let's just touch a little bit on, uh, you know, some of the things that Ahmed mentioned that you've been definitely traveling around the world. Obviously a lot of people can't do that right now because of the pandemic, but you've traveled abroad before. And in 2019, you decided to take some time off uh, doing, I think what you refer to as a quote unquote liberty leave. Before the pandemic, just putting that out there before anyone wants to come for your pandemic life. <laughs> it was pre pandemic no here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I decided that in 2019, I was super burnt out. I was working, you know, really hard to get my name out there and build my personal brand and build my career. But I was tired. I was doing way too much, way too soon. And I'm like, you know what? I want to break. So at the time I was working for TELUS for 11 years. And I'm like, I think I deserve a sabbatical, which I call a liberty leave, like the marketing and branding person that I am. So I took it. I traveled the world. Well, I traveled Asia specifically, Southeast Asia for a span of five months. 
I spent two months in Thailand, one month in Vietnam, and the rest was spread out between Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, and Philippines. And in total, I tallied it up right before the show. It was 15 flights and 19 different com- accommodations over the span of five months. Wow, that's insane. Just for context, listeners, how avid a brander and marketer Danica is. Danica and I traveled to Jordan <laughs> years ago. And I kid you not, she actually put together a, a branded itinerary for our entire trip. Like she was responsible for that. I actually have a copy of it in my in my luggage. But yeah, like she's a serious <laughs> marketer. So Liberty Leave is not even surprising. That's <laughs> diligence. Because I'm usually I take the person. I my itineraries the- very seriously, and anytime yeah. I'm going on a group trip, I will definitely be the one who's extra and have like a title page. I'll actually even name the trip, and I will definitely distribute it to my friends at the airport. Absolutely, go on a trip is you if that's the case. I'm the person who looks forward to in a trip, and I usually never know what's going on. I just wake up and Google stuff, and I'm just like, "Hey, let's do this today." But it's never, it's never organized. I'm just freestyling most of the time. Yeah, you're what we call the Abdi of the trip. (laughs) Definitely super freestyle, and that's okay too. Just to put that out there, like I think it's important to do balance, and yeah, as long as you have like a general idea of what you do, you don't need to like be super strict with the itinerary. Can you tell us a little bit about like which places were the most memorable for you and why? Yeah, so I love Thailand. I'd actually had been there two times before on this trip and I decided that I wanted to spend like a long period there, hence why I spent two months there. They have surprisingly like a big black community there. And when I say big, I mean maybe between like 20 and 30 people in Chiang Mai specifically where I was, so the northern part of Thailand. And they even have Sunday dinners together, which I think is like the most adorable thing. And especially for me, someone who decided to travel by myself, being able to attend, you know, a Sunday dinner or a Sunday brunch with other black people and like learn their stories and their perspectives and why they're traveling the way they are. Like that was really important for my trip. And then also Thailand, I just love the food. Thai food is amazing and it's super affordable. The people are really nice and overall the sights, the sounds, the temperature, everything is perfect. So Thailand is definitely my favorite place in the entire world. When you went there, was there like, like you said, there was a community that was already there. Like how easy was it to like connect with those people? Was it, was it really difficult because a lot of them were like, some people say that like it's geared towards people who own their own small business or it's geared towards like a particular type of person. Do you feel like anybody could go in those communities and just Do you know what I mean? Feel welcomed or is it like you have to have a certain type of energy? I don't know. No, that's a good question because there are different types of communities within these kind of sub communities when you're traveling abroad and you're like the foreigner or what they call digital nomad or expat in the community. For the black community specifically, literally the only thing you need to be is black. They don't care what you do, what type of business you run, what you do for work. Like as long as you're black, you can show up. And the way that I connected with these communities is they've got a bunch of like active Facebook groups. So Mm. within the Southeast Asian community specifically, um, if you type in like brothers and sisters with A's at the end of Chiang Mai, for example, which is Northern Thailand or Bangkok, which is like Central Thailand. uh, They've also got a group in Da Nang, which is a beach town in Vietnam. Um, You type that in, you join those groups as long as you're black. And yeah, that's when you can join in on the breakfast, the dinners and the community events that they do. There are, however, different types of groups that are not black specific. So if you want to do like digital nomads of Chiang Mai, for example, that's when you have to, you know, it makes sense for you to be able to be able to communicate about 
yeah, like you're doing your online business. A lot of people work in like affiliate marketing or they do drop shipping or different types of businesses. That's when you should have some type of business background so you can be able to kind of keep up with the community. You know, everybody shows the, the, the beautiful side. Hey, I'm in a place with a tropical climate and great food, but I'm sure there's uh, some, some adjusting that you have to do as well, right? Absolutely. And I'm glad you asked because you're right. A lot of people, they just focus on like the rainbows and butterflies of travel. But I make sure that with all aspects of my life, not even just travel, like I share like the L's as well. Because L's, yeah, I saw that. Yes, I saw that. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, definitely, not... like that's a great motto to have. Absolutely. So, okay. Some of the things I really struggled with. I should say, so when I went on this trip, I just booked a one-way flight. Like, I didn't really have, like, a whole, like, I didn't do my itinerary like I did for my trip. I didn't Obama. know that. I didn't know that. <laughs> Part of it was I wanted to overcome this perpetual over-planner <laughs> thing that I have going on. So I booked Which a one-way flight. Love. Which we love, by the you're way. Sure, you're <laughs> stepping into my world. You're stepping into my court, pulling up from half court. That, that's my world. For sure. But... It's not sustainable at all times and you can't always be in control of everything and everything can't be perfect. And I really kind of wanted to work on going outside of my comfort zone and growing. So I booked my one way flight from it was Toronto to Chiang Mai with a stopover in Taiwan. And that's kind of how I navigated my whole trip. Like, obviously, I made sure that I never overstayed my visits because you have like a certain amount of days you can stay in each country. Um, and then for some countries, you have to get a visa in advance. But I remember one time when I was leaving Indonesia to get into the Philippines, the when I got to the airport at Indonesia, they said, OK, well, you have to show us your proof of exit for the Philippines. Like, how do we know you're not just going to, like, stay there and, you know, just live your life? And that's the first time at any point in my trip when I was, you know, hopping around to a different country that they actually asked for proof of exit of the country. And I was like two hours away from boarding my flight. So literally I had to step out of line and book a flight ticket on my phone to prove that I would leave the Philippines. Um, that was anxiety inducing because I almost missed my like $300 flight and that would have pissed me off. <laughs> they were looking for proof, oh, the proof that you're going to actually leave the country. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. They said, I thought like, that you came from the Philippines and they were looking for like a stamp that showed that you exited the country or something. I was like, can't you just open your passport? But they want to see that you're not going to stay there is what you're saying. Yeah, they want proof of onward travel. And most countries don't care about that. It's like, as long as you're leaving their country, they don't care. But this country specifically wanted proof that I wasn't just going to stay. So I needed to just book a flight on my phone, which was super stressful. Um, another time is when I was in Thailand, because I was staying there for so long, like I actually paid rent. Like I had an apartment, I had to pay rent, I had a hydro bill, etc. And I didn't realize that in a lot of countries in Asia, like cards are not a thing, like debit cards, credit cards, thing like that. So mm. they actually want you to pay for everything in cash. Like even if you're buying like an iPhone, for example, you're paying in cash. So wow. that was a struggle for me because when you're abroad, I have that much cash on you. It's just not a good idea. Like I yeah. feel like every, like I know this about Africa. Like I never carry cash from an Africa or even most of the time in South America. Like I never, I'm, you're going to get robbed. <laughs> like it's exactly. just, you're asking for bad things to happen if you're walking around with large quantities of cash. Exactly. And even like in Toronto, I would never walk around with like a thousand dollars in cash on me. Like you're literally no, asking to get robbed. We're a plastic culture anyways. But that's not that doesn't translate to around the world. So yeah. I had to like figure out how I could pull that much cash abroad. And that was stressful because I needed a place to stay. So kind of just learning like the intricacies of like payments and how you can kind of do this travel without over planning was 
definitely mm-hmm. a challenge. Then, of course, just general like culture shock, right? Like yeah. I was a black woman in all the countries where there are very few black people. I had big hair, big earrings. Like I wasn't trying to like, you know, <laughs> like tone myself down to fit in. So people mm-hmm. stared at me a lot. I got pointed yeah. at a lot. I, people didn't try to touch me on this. I was going to say, did they do the picture thing? Because I know people say that like they try to take pictures of black people. That happened too. They didn't ask me, but I caught people taking pictures. Yeah, like discreetly. What? Yeah, yeah. No, it's a thing, man. It's a thing. It's a thing. My sister went to China. She said the same thing. That is very think- common in yeah, China. And yeah. for a lot of like mainland Chinese people, because they travel so much, when they're in these different countries, when I was in Vietnam, for example, I was on an island where there was a lot of mainland Chinese people. They didn't, they had no shame. Like they're take, they're in front of me putting their phone and taking pictures. And I'm like, you can't do this. Like, pay me at least if you're going to take a picture. Give me some money. Yeah, Honestly, I would be so clueless. I would just probably pose, especially if I had a fresh haircut. And that, like, they do this thing where they kind of, like, refer to, like, famous black people and they think that you're related or something. Like, I remember my sister kept on asking me, they're like, do you know, do you know LeBron James? Do you know Barack Obama? And it's like, no. But yeah. the cash thing is very interesting. Yeah, definitely uh, kind of uh, puts you in a precarious situation. The only people who get passed for carrying cash is if you're, I don't know, a rap, a rapper in a music video or something. It's like, it's not going to happen in real life. But I find that that would be very, very anxiety inducing. Even the travels that I've done in South America, when I, whenever I went to get cash, I would like put it in my front pocket or put it in my zip and like have it like really close to my chest. I'm like, I don't want people to know I'm walking around with a different currency that's worth potentially a lot more than, you know, what the average uh, person here is making. I wanted to actually take it a step back, going back to when you were actually planning and organizing for Liberty Leave. What was that like, especially with making the ask from your boss to like getting your personal affairs in order to I'm sure like overcoming the guilt that came with taking such an extended leave? There was no guilt. Let me just be very clear. There was no guilt. Cool. (laughs) You heard it loud in in here. (laughs) Clear. There was no guilt. That's amazing. No, that's absolutely amazing. (laughs) I worked at that company for 11 years, so like, run me my sabbatical. (laughs) That's how I felt on that. (laughs) I mean, I don't want to sound like I was owed it, but like, I felt like I deserved it. And I was always someone who went like above and beyond in anything that I touched. So like, I really did feel like I deserved it. Um, And when I pitched it to both my manager and my director, they were so supportive because they know that I always go above and beyond. Like I'm the one who's always like spending out our company's education budget because I'm always brushing up my skills so I can add more value to the company. I'm raising my hand for like non-curriculars. I'm on the diversity and inclusion council. Like I put in a lot of work and like can confidently say I added a lot of value to the company, which I feel is what helped me kind of get approved for that that sabbatical. Um, Yeah. So they were totally aligned and were even like, honestly, like we encourage you to do it. Like you deserve it. The planning part itself, I was planning probably for a year prior to me leaving and it was watching a lot of YouTube videos to kind of just see how people are navigating this legally. And I also should just put a disclaimer out there, like this was, like I said, pre-pandemic, but I was also on tourist visas the entire time I was there. At no point was I making money while I was living (laughs) abroad, because I know that there's some drama in the travel space right now. That's for for whatever CRA agent is listening to this call right now. (laughs) Exactly. This, This was like completely like on savings. But yeah, I kind of just watched videos to see how people were doing it, how are they, how they were navigating visa processes, how they were navigating, you know, culture shock, things to know, things to pack, things to not pack. Because another challenge is I was living out of like a suitcase for five months mm. and 
that's Amazing. tough. That's, that's a very different. But then you yeah. like now, if I could do it again, like I know I could probably do it with even less things because a lot of the stuff that, you know, you packed, you can find those things abroad with the exception, I will say, of lotion and skincare products. Yes, absolutely. Yes. I, I hear that loud and clear. Yes. If you are black or a person with melanin, <laughs> Good, good you may not want to depend on, you know, lotion, skincare products, you know, deodorants, things like that, because a lot of them in Asia and Southeast Asia specifically have bleaching agents in them. There was a point where I would go through every single thing on the shelf and literally everything said it's a whitening product. It is going to whiten and brighten your skin. And I'm not trying to lose melanin there. In fact, I'm in the sun. I'm trying to gain melanin. So, yeah, that was definitely a struggle for me. Did you experience that as well before? I just went to, well, I was in the Dominican and I was just trying to find like a basic shampoo or something like that. And it's just like, I put like a lot of oil in my hair sometimes just to lubricate it. I couldn't even find that. All I could find was like baby oil. And I'm just like, what? Like I was just looking for like, I don't know, something with argan in it. Like, you know, the basic stuff that you find that you're kind of like, you can even find at Walmart now in the, in the quote unquote black section, right? But like there was nothing there. And I was just like, whoa, this is weird. Like my hair is going to be damaged by the time I come back and I mean, I had been educated because I have younger sisters, so they like really put me on to like what to do with your hair. And I was like, what? Like, this is crazy. Like, I just, yeah, um, I think that's like one thing I take for granted because I don't typically go abroad for extended periods of time. Yes. Yeah, like, that's I only I go for like 10 days, two weeks max, and I always bring the stuff that I need with me. So, my cocoa butter, yes, I, I still use cocoa butter, my coconut oil for my hair. As you, you should. Know, you got <laughs> to hydrate your hair, you got to keep your hair hydrated and moisturized. And then the essentials, right? But uh, I've never had, I don't think I've ever found myself in a position where I was in a foreign country, like in, in Asia, and, and had to rely on the products that they had there. But that's good to know. Just for uh, the sake of current events, you did touch a little bit on some of the travel drama that's going on right now. So I wanted to just, uh, if any of our viewers do know about, um, you know, a, a black woman right now that was traveling with her partner in Bali, I believe her name is Kristen Gray. Yep. The thread got taken down. Twitter was you know, on fire for whatever reason people may have. But she was an American, quote unquote, influencer who traveled to Bali recently and was actually deported after after making a threat about moving to Bali. So if you could just give your perspective on that as a person who's went there and, and you know, maybe we were talking about this before the episode, but maybe some of the do's and don'ts and, and, and that, that you think uh, may have contributed to a bad situation for her. I think to provide a little bit more context on like what happened, this thread that she decided to post, she said things like, I'm so glad that I left America. I was paying $1,200 for rent in LA and there was just too much going on. And Bali was my escape because I was able to live affordably and like live luxury. So she lives in like a Balinese treehouse. She lives in a treehouse in Bali for $400 a month now. Um, she said that it helped her with some of like some physical ailments she was experiencing, like um, acid reflux and like some other health related things. And she also said that Bali is LGBTQ plus friendly. Right. And and then, of course, at the end of this thread, she tried to sell an ebook for thirty dollars, also saying that we'll give you access to our visa guide. Visa yes, yes. We'll help guide you to you know, have access to coming into Bali on like navigate things that you're not supposed to navigate, like get in during COVID, for example, which is what Bali is obviously not wanting people not to do. To do they don't have a good hold on it right now. Like there's actually a huge outbreak. So 
My thoughts on this are two things that she did very wrong. And I think that as a traveler, you need to be responsible when you're sharing information with people like this, especially in an open forum like Twitter. First of all, saying that Bali is LGBTQ plus friendly. Yeah, big no-no, I think so. That's a big no-no. Like Indonesia is a predominantly Muslim country. Bali specifically, what I learned when I was there, they actually are predominantly Hindu. Like Balinese Hinduism is what they practice. But regardless, like that's just that island. You don't say it's LGBTQ plus friendly when the actual locals who are LGBTQ plus, they face discrimination. And Mm. a lot of them face uh, face like really harsh penalties if they are out with their sexual orientation. So that's automatically a no-no. Mm, and I, yeah. feel, I feel like the thing for her too was like she was just she didn't really give context she's just like i packed my things up and i moved and it's like what you were saying before like you made sure whenever you were traveling you were there with a travel visa you weren't like it seems like she just packed up and decided to move and it just seemed like she was encouraging people to do the same she was saying that she made money in the u.s because she was like a graphic designer or something and she didn't even pump money into the local economy at all and or, or when she was, it was just for to live a luxurious lifestyle. And she was really, I think, taunting the luxury part of it. The immediate response when I do come to sometimes frequent and travel pages was I was unhappy with the fact that, yes, she did some things that maybe were like unsavory or you can say that probably weren't right. I just didn't think that it was cool that she had to be the fall person. Because like we mentioned earlier, there's a lot of white counterparts that are doing the exact same thing. And I just didn't feel like they faced like she ended up getting deported, which is absolutely, she was deported within days. And I was just like, oh man, like, I just hope that people have that same energy for, uh, you know, other people who are, who are breaking stuff down in, in that way. And, and that she's not the, the first or the last or the only, you know, person who uh, experiences that. Absolutely. I think another one of her downfalls was saying, you know, how you can navigate coming into Bali during COVID. Like that's mm. also something that's a no-no, especially you don't want to say in a public forum. Uh, but to your earlier point, I can say this firsthand as someone who, you know, was just researching what it's like, what it's like to, you know, travel long term in these different type of countries. Not saying it's necessarily something I wanted to do, but I just was curious, like, how are these people living? Everything that I've learned, I learned from YouTube. I learned from these Facebook forums. Like, there is an abundance of information on everything that she just said, with, you know, exception of the LGBTQ plus friendly thing. There is a wealth of information on the internet and people share it every day and a lot of people are making money from being digital nomad influencers and you know educating people on this lifestyle so like you said i was really surprised that she got all that smoke and got all that heat when this is very very common and like you said got deported right away and you know even after it happened so it happened on maybe like mid-january uh she went on clubhouse the app clubhouse where people talk for hours and this, that's the first clubhouse room that I ever listened to. And just hearing her perspective, she was distraught. Like she, at first she didn't like take it back. She said that she worded it wrong and like she was irresponsible with that. But she's like, I love this place and I'm here legally and I'm, you know, I'm not paying taxes, but you know, I have a proper visa. And hearing everyone's perspectives was really interesting because they're like, this is colonizer mentality. You can't come to this country and oh, not yeah, pay taxes. Yeah. And, you know, just come here and you are like pushing out the locals because they can't afford to live here anymore because the cost of living is so high because they're accommodating Westerners. Like that was a lot of the, the dialogue there. So she was actually speaking for herself in that in that in that room? Yep. Yeah, her and her partner wow. were on the clubhouse room. It was like four hours long. It was crazy. Wow. I did not, I did not know that. 
Well, Danica, we cannot wait until you start your, your travel blog once traveling is allowed <laughs> and, and you decide to take your next variation or iteration of Liberty Leave. Liberty Leave Part 2. Stay tuned yes. for that, folks. <laughs> we'll, we'll coming soon. We'll, we'll move on to our next topic. And this was a topic we suggested actually a while back, Danica. But we thought this would be a topic that's better with a woman's perspective. <laughs> Because, I mean, who gives six guys the right to talk about interracial dating and marrying outside your race, which is what our second topic is going to be about today. And I think for me personally, I think getting to know and marrying someone outside your race can be uh, an incredible and enriching experience. Speaking firsthand, you know, my lady, she's Palestinian-American, and it's been such an incredible experience getting to know her. However, the reality is that many couples, uh, many interracial couples will run into challenges, just like any, but I think it's more so apparent when you're getting to know someone who's outside of your, your culture, or your race, or whatever the case may be. And it was actually reported that interracial couples could encounter challenges like derogatory comments in public, negative stereotyping, and even in some extreme examples, loss of contact with friends or family that they may disapprove. Danica, if you don't mind, would you mind sharing maybe some of your experiences with dating or getting to know someone outside your race? And what was that like? And what challenges did you encounter? For sure. So I think when looking at this topic, people often focus on like interracial specifically, which of course has like its own set of challenges that come with it. But I think it's also important to look at like different culture, like intercultural dating and inter like mm. religion dating as well, because mm. those are yeah. kind of all of the things I find that make up trying to understand each other and that can come with some of the consequences that you just mentioned earlier yeah. especially the religion yeah. religion specifically Ooh. is definitely yeah. um a big one uh actually when i was on my trip in on my liberty leave like i thought you know what yes like i'm leaving the toronto dating scene dating in toronto is trash and <laughs> <laughs> maybe i can like you know meet someone who <laughs> is not from the city and the dating in Toronto, I'm sure we can have a whole topic on its challenges there's, there. There's but... literally club roast rooms dedicated to that, but that's a whole different topic. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I honestly, some of the challenges that I've experienced dating just in Toronto is just like, you know, people are, and in North America specifically, like people tend to be like nonchalant about their feelings, you know, have unclear intentions. Um, everyone knows everyone. It's a very small world. So mm. I thought maybe that was a North American thing. You know, maybe I can take it somewhere else and see if I'll have a different outcome. Uh, so I did like try to use like dating apps when I was in all of the different countries that I'd mentioned earlier. And I had no specific goal on like who I wanted to match with. Like it wasn't like I want this to be like a white traveler or I want this to be an Asian man. I was kind of just opening to see what was going to happen. But what I found that I was met by was just like, there were three different things. One, locals who did not speak English at all. So I knew nothing about them other than what they looked like. Two, there were a lot of foreigners that are polyamorous, meaning that, you know, they have intimate relationships with like more than wow. one partner due to their oh, lifestyle. Wow. And that's oh, just, that was very common, surprisingly. Um, and then also just three people who were on like a quick vacation and they were looking for a fun, you know, vacation hookup. I was interested in none of the above. I was interested in a long-term relationship. So I definitely struggled with dating while abroad. But yeah, even back home, I find, you know, trying to date outside of my culture, religion or race, I find that some of the challenges really are just having to explain different things in different contexts. Like, for yeah. example, I love to speak in like Toronto hood man lingo, for example, and 
having to explain like different types of terms to people and they don't understand it like it takes the fun out of it sometimes you know like yeah. i don't want to like say if i could say say a word to someone so like you yeah, know like, yeah, like that's super waste and they're like excuse me what does that mean can you run that back i'm exactly. sorry what <laughs> yeah well, what is waste <laughs> yeah that in itself is a challenge and it takes the fun out of it, right? But then of course, there's also on the flip side, on the positive side, you can explain those things to people. And you know, that could be part of the fun as well, like explaining those cultural contexts and, yeah. and learning from one another. They say that's a mark of real real happiness, right? Your your partner starts using your slang. Yeah, that sounds like amazing. And dating in different religions, I can definitely see it's having its challenges as well. I grew up from like a Christian background, but um, I'm not very like strict with my religion or anything like that, but I found that if I've ever talked to someone who is like with strict religious background, that's a problem because a lot of the times, you know, they're looking for the woman to be in the same religion as them. And that has its own concerns. Um, if, you know, if you're thinking about it super long term, say you're going to like procreate and have a child, what religion does this person take? Do they take the mom's religion? Do they take the dad's religion? Um, that in itself, I find is a challenge. It can be tough. And like there has to be some level of openness, even with the religion example, that someone has to have uh, for for it to work or to increase the likelihood that it's going to work. And I think to your point, like, yeah, it could be depending on how you approach it, like even with the cultural differences or ethnic or race differences, like someone has to be eager to like learn in order for like things to work. So like even for me in my example, my lady, she's Palestinian American. Two of my best friends are Palestinian. I've been to Jordan. So I understand the culture that makes it even more enriching and thriving as well, too. So that's that's really powerful for me. Danica, from your perspective, and maybe this is something that your friends may have had to encounter, maybe family members. How does the experience differ right between when a, a black man has to marries outside of the race, religion, culture, ethnicity versus when a black woman has to has to go through that? How does that experience differ? That's an interesting question. So the question is between like a black man dating outside or marrying outside his race compared to a black woman dating outside her her race exactly right? exactly heavy, heavy question <laughs> i find that often with either marrying or just dating for black men it's almost encouraged or praised <laughs> sometimes I, I'm, well, I hope i'm not getting too controversial here but it gets <laughs> um, encouraged or praised sometimes if they okay, date so outside their relationship because okay. Oftentimes I find that like foreign and like racially ambiguous, like going after mm. that and being in a relationship with that, even mm. when you listen to music, like I find that that's often, like I said, encouraged and praised and it's seen as a positive and, you know, no one really like thinks about it twice. Like it's, it's mm. cool. It's fine. Whereas I feel like if it's a black woman, sometimes um, mm. dating outside Preach. of their place, <laughs> it's like, is, is she a gold digger? Is she looking for more money? Um, is she like, what's her problem? Does she like, it's, it's met with like anger and resentment. Like, I feel like the energy is, is not the same. I can speak to that, to that thing you're saying about music. Um, there's definitely a point in my life where I stopped and I asked myself, like, is what I like my own? Like what I prefer? Is it really what I like or is it? I personally don't, wasn't trying to date anybody that wasn't black. 
But like what I found interesting was like this narrative that was being pushed. And I'm like, where is this coming from? And I, that's the only conclusion that I came to was it came from a lot of even music videos that I watched. Unconsciously, there was never somebody who was darker skinned in any of the videos. And I was just like, this is wild. Like I was really having a conversation in my adult life with like my best friend. And I'm like, I don't even know if my preferences are my own. Like I don't even know why like I was taught and I believed that if you're a black woman the only way you're attractive is if you're like a fair skin and i'm like where is this coming from like this is oh, literally yeah. like embedded from me from like i watched bt music videos when i was like seven until like 21 like i but it's just like it's crazy because you don't know what that does to you until you actually stop and think about it and you're like no wait i literally only think one thing is beautiful or one thing is like acceptable and like yeah. you have it's super crazy because like when you catch yourself that you have so much like i literally for a year like tried to like unlearn that behavior or i just tried to even on at the time i feel like tumblr was big i tried to find images that would counteract or just anything i tried to try, watch like african cinema anything that would just take take me away from whatever i felt like was literally programming me for a long time and and, and you're absolutely right in a sense that like it definitely influences and on one side it's praise but on the other side it's question so it's like also you have to understand yourself not only why is that but you have to understand who is that and most of the time unfortunately it's like men who are kind of uh pushing that narrative right i'm so glad you said that i don't know that i've ever heard a black man admit that before there's a certain level of self-awareness that you need to like go through to like mm -hmm. come to that conclusion i'm still just low-key shook that he like said that because like i said i've never heard that before but yeah if you listen to music even today in the course like back in like the 90s early thousands black men typically flaunt or you know they kind of praise like racially ambiguous women or light-skinned women a lot of them will say like i want like a yellow bone woman whatever that means like it's it's common you see it in the videos you hear it in the music and first of all that sends a message to black women and as i'm sure everyone is aware like dark-skinned women definitely don't get as much love and that's ridiculous and I think a lot of it, of course, stems from like these, you know, European beauty standards and some kind of like that idea of like what beautiful is. And I think that definitely, like um, Callie said earlier, like it has an impact on the way people date and how relationships are made. I'm in a foreign with a foreign. That's all you hear in every single rap song. So it's exactly. just like, what, what is happening? Driving what's in a foreign with my foreign in my 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 uh, passenger seat, like yeah. What does that mean me as a black woman? Yeah, what does that even mean? Even I, to I, I think I, I think you also have to praise like the artists who are trying to break from that. So like, as much as I know, Tory Lanez gets some heat right now. There was like a, a viral um, clip that he had where he was on a set of something and they took some darker uh, skin complexion woman out of the shot and they put some other woman in and he just refused to work until they put her back because he was like why are you taking really? her out of the shot yeah yeah it was yeah. A really like it was a really big moment because like he literally said i'm not gonna work until you put he's like why are you like moving this woman just because she's darker and you're putting another woman here and i think another one was um it was, i don't know if it was kendrick lamar or something but there was like definitely some people who made shifts towards like using darker skin women and it's like for them, they said the same thing that I said. So it's like, it's not like I came to this conclusion on my own. Do you know what I mean? I definitely felt a certain way about it. And I just tried to have conversations with people that I felt like were very open-minded about it. I feel like the age, maybe we were all those, at the age we were watching, you know, BET The Basement or whatever it was. It's like, you kind of don't know the effect that that has on you. Like, I always, I always make the joke that like, um, I was disappointed when I first went to a club because I've watched so many rap videos and I thought it would be like a rap video. And then I was like, this is nothing like what I was advertised. You know what I mean? But 
it's just the effect that those things can have on you even subconsciously by the time that you grow up you're just like you're not even aware yeah and i remember in 2014 uh okay cupid they did they released a study that showed that black women and asian men are apparently the least desirable on dating sites yeah, i remember that really yeah i remember that i remember that and like and i think they, the top ranking was like white white men and white women were like at the top right exactly yep so just goes to show like of course asian men as well but like black women we often it's like even sometimes whether it's like you know outward saying it or it's kind of beating around the bush like black women are less desirable to a lot of people and that i think also makes interracial dating hard sometimes um black mm. women are also fetishized a lot as well like in the few occasions that i've spoken to non-black men like the things that people say to me like you know things like oh i've never dated a black chick before like this will be interesting and i'm just like okay or you have to do that once i literally no people yeah. have said that i remember one of my friends she was at a bus stop and she's like i had my hood up and so this these these two white guys were talking beside me she didn't know the guy's like you have to date a black woman once in your life just do it bro and i'm just like yeah. oh, these are people you're talking about like whoa like like a whole not... woman people will ask yeah. me like right off the bat like so can you twerk i'm just like I met you three seconds ago. Or they'll make like comments about like the size of my lips, like right off the bat. And they're like, oh, that's interesting. What can you do with those? And it's just like, things oh like that God. are just things wow. that have yeah. honestly turned me off from dating interracially. And that's why I'm dating black men. Um, and that's, that's kind of the reality. And just to be clear as well, like I am a lighter skinned black woman and I kind of have the privilege of, you know, not facing like even the worst of the comments that women even darker than me get and the discrimination that women even darker than me get. And it's completely unfair. And yeah, it's, it's a challenge dating as a black woman, 100%. My goodness, I hope the world improves. And seriously, like we need to, we need to do better. And this was supposed to be a fun topic, but definitely went <laughs> from zero to a hundred real quick. Now we're going to enter into one of our, our main topics. And Danica, this is where our listeners are going to be able to soak up a lot of your goodness. And, and, and I say this sincerely, you know, you're someone whose transformation I've witnessed over the years. And, and for those of you who don't know, Danica and I go way back. We, started off working in retail years ago, uh, back at TELUS. And Badgal, you know, one of the things you've managed to do is, you know, you've built yourself this brand where, you know, you're savvy, you're intelligent, and you're powerful. And I'm sure, obviously, like having uh, ambition and a vision for yourself helped. But, you know, looking from the, the outside in, I feel like you've figured out personal branding. And we all have different variations of what personal branding means. Maybe take us a step back, you know, even maybe it started back in, in when you were working in retail, but walk us through how you took control of your own personal brand from the beginning and what were some of the more pivotal steps that you took to get to where you are today? For sure. So I will start by like the textbook definition of personal branding, which is an intentional effort to create and influence other people's opinion of you by positioning yourself as a leader in your industry, proving your credibility slash expertise and differentiating yourself from others. I have always taken personal branding seriously because all the industries that I've been involved in, I am one of few, if not only, if like not one of the only black women in the industry. And I think it's important to like make myself stand out to be able to go after the opportunities that I want to be able to get, you know, job opportunities, and things like that. That's why I've always taken personal branding seriously. Like I wanted to be out there. I wanted people to know who I was. 
I wanted people to know that I'm vicious and that I work really hard and that I deserve all of the things. No, I love that. I love that. And and you mentioned, you know, being someone who is a person of color, working in corporate, having ambition to obviously advance your career. You know, I'm sure for, for many of us who, who identify as being people of color, imposter syndrome is something that we've all, I'm sure, at some point in our lives had to battle with. What was the best piece of advice that you've gotten in confronting uh, imposter syndrome, if it was something that you've encountered personally? I experience imposter syndrome probably on a weekly basis. I think that's completely normal, especially when you're growing and you're putting yourself in uncomfortable situations to allow you to grow. I think a lot of people don't share that. And that's one of the things that I aim to kind of shift the narrative on with my personal brand. As I said earlier, like I share my L's, I share my losses because my life is not butterflies and rainbows and I don't really want to, you know, pretend like it is. I think one of the things that I've learned in kind of managing that imposter syndrome is anytime I think of, you know, an opportunity that I have and sometimes automatically I think, wow, I'm so lucky that I landed this job or that I landed, you know, the speaking opportunity. But then I remind myself, I'm like, no, girl, you've been working like you have been putting in work since you were like 17 years old. I started working at TELUS when I was 17 and, you know, really climbed the corporate ladder. I didn't even have a degree or any educational background in the field of marketing before I got into it. But, you know, I kind of just self-taught, you know, did a lot of research, learned my own way. And yeah, sometimes you just need to remind yourself, like a lot of the all the work that you put in and the things that you have are a result of, you know, hard work, dedication, discipline, mm. and resilience. Mm. And that's kind of yeah. how I shake off the imposter syndrome. Hirsch and I talk a lot about that. Um, and we've talked about that in the past. It's like when you start off your career, you kind of feel this sense of like, I'm so lucky to be here, or I'm so fortunate to be here as if like, you're not deserving. And then I think it's important. And it's something that we, I'm sure we all struggle with where like, you need to constantly reinforce that, you know, you deserve your seat at the table. You deserve to be here. It's not a hustle. It's not a finesse. You know, Danica, you mentor, you coach, you know, you're a huge proponent of giving back and doing your part to advance others professionally who identify with being black, uh, indigenous people of color, especially to people who are early on in their careers. What are some of the misconceptions that you've seen personally, whether it's even young people or even senior professionals have about things like personal branding and networking? So what do they get wrong at the beginning that you'd feel like would be important mm. for them to know? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think often a lot of people think that they have to have it figured out right away. They have to have, you know, their whole five year, 10 year plan laid out and that's the plan that they have to stick to. And if they get off that track, then they're a failure. Uh, especially the students that I mentor, a lot of them are like, you know, really nervous about what their futures are going to look like because they don't really know what they want to do. And that's okay. You know, I would really encourage people to, embrace the unknown, pivot along the way, pivot as many times as you need to. I went to school for radio and television. And before I even graduated, I decided I want to be in marketing because I didn't really like radio and television that much. And I didn't think that I would be as successful in that as I would in marketing. And that's okay. Another thing I would say is you have to put yourself out there more. A lot of people think that, oh yeah, I'm networking. Like I talked to my friend's friend or my friend's brother works here. So I had this conversation with him. No, you have to like really put yourself out there and, you know, make an attempt to reach out to people. So a lot of the times I recommend my students, for example, is to reach out for informational interviews on mm. on LinkedIn, for example. Shout yeah. out to LinkedIn. Um, uh, to LinkedIn. <laughs> you know, like reach out to people who have the titles of jobs that you're thinking about 
you know, getting in the future and say, hey, can I have 15 minutes of your time to, you know, learn about like what your day is like, what do you like, what do you not like? And that kind of helps you figure out where you want to be. And of course, also that's networking. If something comes up in the future that they think you would be a good fit for, maybe they're going to, you know, think about you when that first happens. And funny enough, Ahmed, you're actually the one who introduced me to the concept of informational interviews uh, early on in my career in like 2014. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you introduced me to someone and said, hey, playback right there. (laughs) Yeah, you're like, uh, you can reach out to this person for an informational interview. I'm like, what's that? That sounds weird. Like, is she even going to want to talk to me? But chances are a lot of people really are open to having these conversations and people like talking about themselves. So, yeah, I would definitely say, like, put yourself out there. That's super important. Yeah, 100 percent. And I would like I would not to say that I'm like successful by any means, but I feel like I've done a considerable amount in my career. And there's obviously so much more to go. But a big part of that is like, I think to your point, like having those informational interviews, like I think when I was like 22 or 23, I'm 30 now in my last year of university, there were like programs that our career center offered resume workshops, interview best practices, informational interviewing, and just meeting with professionals that were York graduates, because I went to York, and just having lunches with them, coffee chats, right? I had no idea what I was doing. Someone just told me this makes sense. This is what you're supposed to do. I had questions prepared. And then somehow, some way, you land yourself in opportunities that you wouldn't expect it. And then it kind of just trickles from there. So you're right. Put yourself out there. And that's how you build a community too, right? Like, I am almost shocked at how much I've built my community over the past few years by just putting myself out there, you know, having conversations with people and not necessarily just on LinkedIn too. Actually, no shade to LinkedIn, but I have made more relationships with people on Twitter than any other platform ever. Mm. Because, you know, Twitter allows you, yes, you can be on brand and you can talk about your day job, but you can also just be a normal person and people will, you know, jump in on conversations if you're say, hey, like I just made this really cool recipe and then say, oh, I made this too. And, you know, just having those like, casual conversations also really helps build relationships. I've told people there's a wrong side of Twitter and there's a right side of Twitter. The right side of Twitter is actually insanely productive and like very like niche to like one thing you might like, you know, so that's interesting that you're getting more traction as well on there than um, other networks. Yeah, Twitter more than like any other thing, like has got me more opportunities, job opportunities, speaking opportunities, made me more money. Like There is money to be made and, you know, opportunities to be enjoyed on Twitter for sure. And then also, like, I think it's important for people to think about, like, the content that they want to put out and, like, share as well and kind of be seen as a thought leader. Because, you know, when you have a personal brand, you kind of have the opportunity to tell your story and, like, control your narrative. I like to use the um, the example. It's kind of like you're a director and distributor of your own TV show. So it's like, you know, what do you want to put out there? Like, who are you? Who do you wish to serve? What's your purpose? What are your values? Those are questions I think that are really important for you to ask yourself when you are, you know, building your personal brand and starting to put content out there, whether it's, you know, sharing articles on a specific topic on any of your social platforms, things like that, I think are really important to to keep in mind. And then also choose where you want to show up. I find a lot of people, they feel like they have to be on every single platform and they get overwhelmed and burnt out and then they just stop and they don't share anything. Literally, yeah. And there's a lot, like people are on LinkedIn, there's Twitter, there's Instagram, there's TikTok, now there's Clubhouse. Ain't nobody got time for all that. And I think that's- Literally, yeah, there's no way. (laughs) 
people are on I, Clubhouse, I don't understand because people are on there literally all day. I'm like, do you have a day job? Like, you've been on here since 9 a.m. I come on, it's 9 p.m. you're on here. Anytime I pop in, you're on here, I'm like, either you're just playing this in the background or you're on here all day. Because it's a new platform, right? Everybody wants to say it's like a race to get followers, but I'm like, it kind of yeah. isn't. If you're in the right places, there's people who have like 50 followers on Clubhouse, but make very insightful things. And I just follow them to whatever room they go because I know they're not there to just kiki all the time. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, you can do that and end up in, you know, Toronto men are raccoons room. And, and people are just talking about how men are trash. Literally, that was the name of a room. I saw that. I saw that Toronto, oh, Toronto men are raccoons. raccoons. Danica, I wanted to ask you a quick question about um, something you said earlier. You mentioned this in an article that I was reading. You said it's, it's important for me to be the person that I needed during a challenging time. That stuck out to me. And it's like, I feel like a personal challenge that I had. I did work in the, in the ad industry for a little bit is like I really struggled with the idea of how to like present or reject your ideas as a black person in the workplace. I literally told somebody like I remember the conversation that I had with them because in, in, in advertising a lot of the times they try to there's like this all this hoopla over over trying to sound as current as possible right. I, I remember I was in a meeting and I just I told somebody senior I said that's a terrible idea and like well I remember that backfired but I felt proud and scared at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Because I was like, my biggest fear was I never wanted to be somebody to do something and say, there's somebody black there that said nothing. You know, you always hear there wasn't a single black person in the room that day when they made the decision. That's like, if I was there, like, I'm always going to say something. But I kind of did feel like a lot of the times, like, like, they didn't want me there after that. Do you know what I mean? And it was just like weird because I was like, did I do something good? Did I do something bad? Like, at the end of the day, I felt like I did something good. But I just I wanted to be a vocal black person as opposed to like an invisible black person. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's a struggle that a lot of us have to deal with, especially in the field of advertising and marketing, because a lot of the time we're the only black person in the room. And when you're the only black person in the room, you are often given the responsibility of being the voice of the black people or being, you know, responsible for shutting things down that are just not good ideas, like you said. And that's tough. And I I wish that that's not something that we had to carry on our shoulders, but unfortunately it is a lot of the time. I was also, you know, very reluctant to kind of share my open, honest, transparent thoughts on things like that. And just also, I was just, I don't know, just being a black person in the marketing space. Like I just always felt like I was outnumbered. I felt like maybe my opinions didn't matter. And I often felt like I had to tone down my blackness in order to fit in the space. And it wasn't until I discovered um, a woman named Bozoma St. John. Are you familiar with her? No, uh, no. Okay, so Bozoma St. John, at the time that I discovered her, she was like the head of marketing at Apple Music. And then since then, she's she was at Uber. She was a CMO at Uber, chief marketing officer at Uber. And she's currently the chief marketing officer at Netflix. But I remember when I discovered her on, you know, she was doing a presentation um, at like an at an Apple conference. She showed up, she walked out on the stage in like long, I think she, no, she had like either big hair or like long box braids. She was wearing like kente um, attire, so like a traditional African print. And she was just being unapologetically black. And that's what taught me like, oh my gosh, like I can be black in marketing. Like I can actually bring my whole authentic full black self to work and be successful because here this woman is, you know, a very successful chief marketing officer. Um, and she's black and she's unapologetic. So why can't I do it too? And that's what helped me, I think, shift my mindset and 
how I showed up for work. And that's also what I bring with me when I, you know, join these mentorship sessions or, you know, when I'm coaching students or anyone who needs it, like, it's okay. Like, it's okay to like be yourself. You don't need to code switch 24 seven. You can, you know, bring your raw value and that's, you know, your value. That's what you bring to the company. So that's why I think representation is super important. And that's why I always try to be as authentic and keep it as real as possible. So people realize like, it's okay to like lose sometimes. Everything is not gonna be perfect. I would highly encourage everyone who's trying to build a personal brand to have a website. I slept on making a website for years just because I didn't wanna pay someone to do it. So I ended up doing it myself and it brought me a significant amount of opportunities that I would not have expected had I not have it. Personal branding and having my personal website changed the game for me. So I would highly recommend people to look into creating a personal website. Yeah, very important. In the interest of time, moving on to our next topic, going from personal blending a little bit, moving towards uh, what you can do for like small businesses. We wanted to just get your input on that uh, and how small businesses can do branding like the big guys. One of the things that's highlighted for a lot of small businesses is like they don't they don't put a lot of focus into into branding and they just feel like, you know what, like we have to put our resources in other different places. You know, you've been fortunate to, to work at Telus and now you're working at, at Shopify and you've been responsible for doing engaging campaigns and conversions in that way. Can you walk us through some of your own experiences? Tell us a little bit about how limiting it could be to not actually invest in that and like to just ignore that. How crucial is that to your success as a platform or as a, as a person who's trying to operate a small business? For sure, it's so crucial. I mean, without marketing, how are people gonna know who you are, what you stand for, your values, your visions, what you offer? Branding is super, super important. And I think a lot of people sometimes get overwhelmed because they think that they have to have the perfect logo and the graphic design needs to be on 10 for them to even, you know, put anything out to the universe. And that's where when, you know, when I am consulting with like small businesses or I'm talking to people who are building their podcast brands or whatever type of brands, it's like, start small, you know, start with what you have and then iterate mm -hmm. along the way. Similar to really anything in life, like you don't need to have it all together to start, like just mm -hmm. start. And, you know, some things that I would, you know, I would encourage people to focus on when they are looking at their, you know, best practices for marketing would be start by like defining your target audience. You know, who specifically do you want to talk to? Who do you wish to serve? And then try to be as specific as possible. You know, don't say like, I'm just trying to, you know, any woman who's anywhere, who lives anywhere in the world from 18 to 45, that's my targeting strategy. That can't fly. We can't do that. You know, we have to be that, yeah. Exactly. You have to be try to get as niche as possible and just be like super, super specific. I find a lot of people struggle with that. They're just like, I don't care. Whoever wants to buy my products, then that's who I'm marketing to. But you have to understand who you're talking to in order to build a marketing strategy. I think it's really important for people to define their narrative. You know, focus on your story. What is your yeah, story? Yeah. Like, who are you? What made you start this business? If I buy from you, you know, who am I going to be supporting? What is it going to support specifically? Having a story of who you are. I think people sleep on that a lot. Like some yeah. websites don't even have like about pages, you know, they're just selling their products and I don't, there's no face to the brand. And mm -hmm. especially in like days like this, it's important to humanize your brand. People want to know who they're supporting, especially during COVID, uh, before they throw their money at something. So yeah, yeah. highly recommend defining a narrative. Also word of mouth marketing. I think people sleep on how impactful it can be for friends and family to just spread the word and then they spread the word. And that's kind of how you kind of grow your, your demographic and your, and your target. 
um, you know, you don't necessarily need to spend thousands of dollars on Facebook ads and Instagram ads and all that stuff. You can start small, you know, send one of your products to your friends or family. If they like it, tell them to write a review, use those reviews for different types of content. And it's okay to grow like that as well, more of like a grassroots approach. Yeah, I think people want to grow quickly. That's the problem when you see yeah. brands that start and, you know, everybody wants to have a K beside their name on Instagram. They want to hit that 10K and, you know, they start a brand and it just in, in the bio says road to 10K. And I'm like, man, like, you know, like, like, let's focus on the products here. Let's focus on what you're doing. I'm sure you'll get there. For sure. You have to accept these things with intention and, you know, like I said, understand and define your narrative and anything that doesn't align with that, then just keep it moving. And it's okay to grow like slow and steady versus the road to 10K. Yeah, for sure. We're going to actually close it out there and we're going to end there. Danica, Badgyal, thank you so much for your time today. Um, we really appreciate you coming and joining us on your weekend and sharing your perspectives and your experiences and just being so open with us. Like we're, we're really grateful. Our first official guest imaginary red carpet because we're not in real life but you know you get the, you get, you get the idea the virtual red carpet the virtual, virtual. red carpet there you go there you go thank uh, you so much for having me i am so honored to be your first guest and so proud of everything that y'all are doing i can't wait to watch you continue to grow now if you've enjoyed what you've heard on today's episode of say word please comment share and subscribe three simple steps for support go a long way and as always we hope you found this insightful we hope it made you think. We hope you learned something. And we look forward to having you join us for our next episode. Be safe, everyone.